0: hear heavy boots um, and people screaming and gunshots. And uh, none of the crew wore boots, so I knew that somebody had boarded. And the gunshots sounded very close. So in my mind, I assumed that somebody tried to shoot to protect us, and then they were shot.
1: Last week, the news broke that Princess Atifa, the missing daughter of the Dubai ruler, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, had recorded videos of herself.
0: I'm in a villa. I'm I'm a hostage and uh, this villa has been converted into
1: a jail. All the windows are barred shut. They were filmed sitting in the bathroom of the villa, she claims at the time of recording, her father held her captive in. In the videos, you can see her sitting in the corner, her back pressed up against the wall.
0: I'm being punished. And um, I don't know what can happen to me and how long this will last. And if they decide to release me, like how my life will be, but um, I'm not
1: safe at all. Three years ago, Latifa tried to escape Dubai on a journey consisting of a dinghy, jet ski and yacht to try and get to India. From there, she hoped to fly onwards to claim political asylum and seek a new life. But just 30 miles from the Indian coast, their yacht was intercepted and Latifa was brought back in what her family called a rescue mission, claiming she'd been tricked by criminals wanting money. And then she vanished. The government released a statement saying that she is now safe in Dubai, but we heard nothing from Latifa herself. It seemed no one knew where she was. No one, it turned out, other than a handful of people. And one of them was my colleague, Sanya Burgess, an investigative journalist with Sky's data and forensics unit. Now, since the spring of 2019, Sanya has been working with Sheikha Latifa's friends to get questions to the missing princess in order to tell her story. So what now for Princess Latifa? Welcome to the Sky News Daily Podcast with me, Katerina Vototzi. Well, Sanya, I mean, it's just such an incredible story. I know you've been working on it for such a long time. Take us back. Tell us how you first became interested in it.
0: I first spotted the story actually just on wires after her escape, or rather failed escape, which was this almost Hollywood blockbuster-esque story. You know, yeah. a royal princess, an escape across the Indian Ocean, armed troops boarding, where is she now, The a Finnish capoeira instructor helping her escape everything and I just thought sometimes truth really is stranger than fiction it captured me right from the start and actually before I'd started at Sky I actually spent a short time working at the National which is UAE newspaper but in their London bureau because I've always found kind of the Middle East and the Gulf states really really fascinating and wanted to get more reporting experience of that under my belt so it was kind of the perfect story for me.
1: Where did you start then? Was it trying to speak to her friends, people she knew? I mean, where did you even begin?
0: Well, that's a really good question. And it was, I remember sitting at my desk after filing the copy and going, I want to find out more. I have so many questions. What I started doing was identifying who is in that story that I could potentially talk to. So David Hague, who featured in our coverage, he's a human rights campaigner. And now, friend of Latifa, although at the time of the escape he didn't know her at all. He has an interesting backstory of himself. He has been charged and detained in the UE over fraud allegations. Those allegations have also been upheld in the UK. When I started talking to him, that was actually the as far back as the second of October, 2018, when you're trying to get to the bottom of the truth, on something like this you have to interrogate does anyone have any vested interests could they be trying to either not necessarily mislead but push an agenda and that doesn't mean you can't talk to these people but you have to triple quadruple check everything they say and even then take it with a pinch of salt as much as it's easy to get wrapped up there are two sides to every story and you know just because the sheikh hasn't spoken a lot about it it's very easy to get swept up in it and forget that you know we're dealing with people who have their own histories with the uae let's put it that way
1: so did speaking with david haig then open up you know avenues to other people he knew who were connected with the princess
0: to some extent but i also wanted to keep making connections off my own back again to uh, to maintain that sense of independence and then the final key player that i was talking to a lot is Tina Yauhianen. She is the capoeira instructor of Latifa and and so was an employee of hers, but actually the two became fast friends. They both have a similar free spirit, strength of mind, and just a love of life and animals and extreme sports. You'll have seen the pictures of Latifa jumping out of planes to do skydiving and, and all sorts of things. It was actually with Tina's help that Latifa and her kind of brainstormed this mind-blowing
1: escape. It is extraordinary, isn't it? Because I suppose one thing that strikes me, just listening to you telling us who the, this cast of characters almost, you it's almost easy to get swept up in this extraordinary detail, isn't it? And almost forget that at the centre of it is a young woman who says that she feels frightened for her life and for her future it's really hard did you have to keep that in mind the whole time and and try and focus on that I mean how were you sort of navigating all these this extraordinary detail
0: again it's a really good question and it's something that I found quite difficult not to get pulled to the side on because it's been a long time and over that period of time there have been, uh, let's say, disagreements between this cast of characters and a rift has kind of formed between that with David and Tina continuing to represent Latifah and one of the things I needed to hear from Latifah in the videos was who do I trust but I'm getting that through David and Tina so to what extent can I really verify that? It's something that you can stress test as much as you can but at the end of the day You kind of have to go with your instinct on that.
1: So what were they able to tell you at that time? So this is 2018, you know, we don't know too much about where she is or what's happening or do we even know where she has been returned to at that point after, after the failed escape attempt?
0: They didn't know anything. No one did. And that was what was actually simultaneously very worrying but for me as a journalist, exciting. Can I find out? Can I try and get... This woman who wants her voice heard, can I get that voice heard while doing it in a responsible and balanced way?
1: Let's talk about those photographs. Uh, I think they were published in late 2018 uh, that showed Princess Atifa with Mary Robinson. And, And really those photographs were the first evidence or indication that she was still alive, weren't they? Tell us about those. Mary Robinson
0: was in photos with Latifa that were released on the 24th of December 2018 and um, they were proof of life pictures released by the royal family. They're kind of low resolution pictures that show what I think many would feel is an uncomfortable looking Latifa. that is a subjective comment obviously. And it shows her sat at the dining room table, enjoying enjoying a meal, sat on the sofa and in what appears to be the moment of meeting with a lady who we know is the former UN Human Rights Chief, Mary Robinson. She's also the former president of Ireland. That obviously was an independent figure and someone who is, to some extent, separate from the family. There was a lot of concern around the photos when they emerged because there were queries over these are official photos, why are they so low resolution, and to many people it it seemed Latifa looked uncomfortable. Mary Robinson is who she is, she has a very prominent and well-respected background, and you know, you're inclined to listen to her, and she says, Latifa is receiving the care and attention that she needs. It was something that I just had to really grapple with, you can't take things at face value. But also, you can't ignore evidence just because it doesn't suit the best headline you can think of. And and obviously, recently, it's emerged Mary Robinson has come out. She says she felt she was actually duped into those photos. She thought they were going to be private photos. Mary Robinson has now ultimately tried to distance herself from what those photos purported to show at that time
1: back in 2018. Did things go a bit quiet then after those Photographs. I mean, were were you still having that regular contact with with Tina? And you know how how did you see the story going? If anything, it went
0: much bigger. We knew she was alive. She was contactable. The photos were actually taken in Princess High's home. That's obviously unlikely to be where she was staying. Or she she could have been, but I just, I had more questions than ever. And I think that was the same for David and Tina, and it was just a kind of impossible question of of what do you do now? And that period where the pictures dropped, especially because they dropped on Christmas Eve when no press offices were open, we had skeleton staff. One of the things that kept playing in my mind was they're not saying these pictures were taken today, so why have they dropped them on December 24th? It could be a coincidence. I have no evidence <laughs> that anything <laughs> nefarious was happening with the timing. It was just something that was bugging me in the back of my head.
1: Then 2019 came and the Sheikh's name starts becoming involved in big news here in London. It's suddenly come to you, hasn't it? The story or part of the story. Tell us about that and and how that sort of affected your reporting and your investigation.
0: I started hearing from contacts That Princess Haya, who is the Sheikh's sixth wife, who herself is a fascinating character, as seemingly everyone is in this. She's a former Olympian, humanitarian, she's actually of Jordanian royalty. She is very anglicised and has spent a lot of time in the UK as well. And ultimately, the messages I was beginning to get was that she had fled the Sheikh and had come to the UK with her children, which. At the time, I was like, could this story get any stranger? Yeah. Um, we just sort of were like, when I say we, I mean me and my editors, where is this going to go? Let's keep an eye on it. And where it did go was that The sheikh, a few months later, actually brought legal action against Princess Haya. It was misreported by quite a few outlets at the time as divorce proceedings, but actually, in fact, the entire legal dispute which has been held in the high courts in London in the family division has been entirely focused on the welfare of the couple's two children who were who are very young. And what it did mean was that a court battle ensued and I was there in court nearly every day that I could be, even to the point that the big crunch day where we kind of had a lot of the legal arguments and alleged facts presented actually fell on the day of the funeral of my very good friend and former mentor, who was also a journalist, and I think hopefully he would understand. I mean, that's kind of an anecdote that shows how um, near obsessed I have been with this, and and to watch that court battle was was fascinating.
1: What did we learn through that, and, and did that help So reassure you in your reporting that your gut was right and that your instincts were right in listening and building relationships with um, Tina and David Haig. Before I go into what we kind of learnt from the the whole court
0: session, I think it's important to know what the shake side of that story is. And he released a statement after the fact-finding judgments were released, which is he said he's a head of government and so he was not able to take part in the proceedings and he said rather than a fact-finding judgment he rejected the findings and said it had been a fast finding judgment that only told one side of the story so worth bearing that in mind he did not give any evidence during the trial apart from a few written statements though obviously he has a legal team who are there to represent him now what we did find from the court session was We had a number of different allegations, and the the things that we need to pay attention to is what was published in that fact-finding judgment. Because this was a civil case rather than a criminal case, it's not you're guilty or you're innocent beyond reasonable doubt. A fact-finding judgment is where the judge, who in this case is actually called the president, assesses the information he has been given, and he has to find, on a balance of probability, what is most likely to be true. So it's not as strong as a criminal judgment, it puts it in a lot stronger situation. So for example, in the fact-finding judgment, the judge looked at a number of allegations around Latifa, including not just her escape in 2018, but that was actually her second escape attempt. She actually tried to escape once before in 2002 when she was only 16. Essentially, what the judgment finds is that the judge accepts the allegations that Latifa makes regarding what happened following her first failed escape and then also eyewitness evidence from Haya where she visited Latifa in December 2018 and part of this Mary Robinson escapade that we were talking about and um, Princess Haya says when she visited Latifa she looked upset and she was locked and guarded in a villa.
1: Tell us about what happened next. So you're building, I suppose, this body of information, but how do you push it on? How do you go about verifying, taking the story forward?
0: Well, and I have to kind of, for safety reasons, be vague around the timeline here, but at some point, Tina received a message, almost out of the blue. It was allegedly from Latifa saying, Hi, it's me. Let's try and find a way to, to talk. She was in this almost impossible situation of there's this message that she she desperately wants to believe is true. But should she believe it? How does she verify it? And also when she if and when she chooses to send a message back, how does she prove who she is? Because we're in this thriller-esque scenario where you have to kind of make sure you're trying everywhere you can to dot every I, cross every T they eventually managed to work through that and this kind of communication had begun to be established and from there through the help of this brave individual who I can't give any information about more and more communication began to flow and eventually they hatched a plan between them to try to smuggle in this smartphone that is the entire reason these videos have been possible and without that smartphone Latifah's story would
1: not being told or talked about at the moment. After this break, what happened when Sky's communication with Latifa dried up and she went off the radar again? Once you felt confident and you were able to verify and felt, you know, these are contemporary videos, they're, they're not pre-recorded, I mean, how did you feel? I can't imagine opening your email, clicking on an attachment. I mean, what was that feeling like, seeing these videos and hearing her voice?
0: Well, it was a funny one, because, because these were such sensitive videos, I always feel a bit tinfoil hat when I say this, but we were all very reluctant to have them transferred to me over the internet, whether that was over the top or not, who's to say. What we agreed to do was myself... David and Tina met up in a central London hotel. They brought a laptop that was offline and I brought a hard drive and we just transferred all of the videos together. The first thing I wanted to do was just pour over them but I'm obviously in central London surrounded by tourists so I can't. But when I did finally boot them up on my computer, it was, it was just surreal. I actually remember feeling like this chill going through my body and like sinking into my bones on face value the stuff she says and she claims it's it's the stuff of many people's nightmares frankly but then i had this second wave of terror of what do i do <laughs> with this if everything she's claiming in the videos is true this this woman is in a lot of danger what happens if i ever publish this and and, and what what do i need to do to try and do this in the most responsible way and then I had a third worry <laughs> which was what if they're not real or what if what Latifa is claiming isn't real and just it's a kind of you can only verify things so far and I think that's also why it's really really important for us to think about the fact that these videos at the end of the day are claims from Latifa we do have this fact finding judgment that does Accept a lot of the details, and actually, there's very little of new allegations in Latifa's video messages. But that's her side of the story; it's her claims, and we have to be mindful of what again the Sheikh says, and what the Sheikh does say is, you know, as I touched on before, bringing her back to Dubai, he sees was a rescue mission. He felt that she was being tricked by criminals who wanted to get money from the royal family and had misled her. And he had said previously that Latifah was safe and well and they had provided proof of life. And the reason, to some extent, of why we weren't hearing more was because her privacy is important. They want to maintain that. In many ways, as much as this feels like a, a huge story, what it actually boils down to is this is a, a family matter. And there is a privacy element there. And I think that's really important to to think about.
1: We're at a stage now where you have these videos in hand. Did you publish at that moment? Or what were you thinking about publishing? Lots of questions still, I suppose, to even get to the next step.
0: Well, the main thing was that the videos were recorded with the express understanding that we would only publish them when Sheikha Latifa gave us her permission to. We have to honour that. But, again, I'm getting all of that through third party. We were waiting to hear from her when she wanted to publish it and that's also where the Princess Higher court case comes in again because I think the feeling was from Latifa and her friends, these videos are explosive. Once they're out there, you can't control them. Anyone in the world can see it, that's why they're so powerful, but they are akin to hitting, you know, the big red button. And I think they were very keen to try and find a way to reach what Latifa wanted, which she says is her freedom, through a a less extreme <laughs> route, and and so when we were when we discovered that Latifa's case was in some ways going to be heard in a court, we I think we all were looking to see where that went. We now know, although headlines were generated and and a bit of attention was put on Latifa, it did fade away again, partly because of the coronavirus outbreak and no one saw that happening. What maybe they were thinking could have been a different avenue,
1: unfortunately for Latifa, didn't materialise. And then comes an issue where sort of communication ends, is that right? Both sort of, you being able to get messages to her via her friends and also her friends hearing from her directly.
0: Yeah, so her friends were in contact with her every day through WhatsApp. When that contact stopped, roughly nine months ago they were very concerned and you know I've seen in situ on the whatsapp app the end of those conversations and what's maybe it's not telling (laughs) maybe it is they're in the middle of flow of conversation the last message has two blue ticks which means it's been read the next message has two gray ticks which means it's been delivered to the device and then the next message only has one gray tick which means it's sent but hasn't been picked up by the phone now has the phone broken? Has something happened where Latifa has gone? No, I don't want to do this anymore. The conversation I saw was not an argument or anything that you would expect someone to kind of hang up and walk away from. But as with so much of this, it was a a wall where we then had a lack of information to try and make decisions off the back of. So we then had (laughs) the newest headache, which is right. So potentially something has happened which means she doesn't she doesn't want to or she she isn't able to respond anymore which also means how do we now get permission from her and so in came the next dilemma
1: and how do you go about moving forward from there i mean you're Sort of hesit- not hesitancy, but your decision not to publish them as soon as you get them was because you were, you know, you had this ethical duty of, you know, we're, we're waiting until we have this permission from Princess Latifa, and then no means to get it. So, so, so what next? It was a big matter of, well, if we don't know
0: the right thing to do, sometimes you just have to sit on your hands and it was painful and difficult. And there's also on the kind of professional side, I knew that the BBC had been past the clips after a lot of them had been filmed off the back of my questions and they had been distributed to them. It could well be that because communication paths were still open then that the BBC had also sent questions, but of the ones that we have seen in in the news and released by Sky News, those ones are dated and and relate to the questions that I passed. Professionally and as a matter of pride, I'm kind of like, well... I know the BBC have it. What if they go at any time? But that pales away. It really doesn't matter when, at the end of the day, if you release this story and you don't know what's going to happen, and potentially it could be something that endangers someone's life, I can't live with that.
1: 100%. And then what tips the balance then so that you decide, you know, now is, now is the time to go? Well, the decision was taken completely out of our hands. The, the friends
0: made the decision for their own reasons that they wanted to pass these video messages to the UN. And although the UN working groups are closed doors, so it doesn't mean they're going public, what it does mean is that these videos have a wider distribution, which we felt meant, OK, well, to some extent, the cat's out of the bag. And the big risk, in theory, is the Sheikh finding out about these videos, which could be fine, but we don't know. So the UN say they're going to talk to the UAE about these videos. So we were like, OK, we can now get ready to go with it. And then we later, after that, heard that the BBC were also presumably following a similar ethical dilemma as us. were getting ready to go. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. The, the main point is it's getting into the public domain. Therefore, it's kind of being taken out of our hands as it is. Yeah. Do you
1: think she could be released?
0: We just don't know where she is or what's happened. She could be on a, a a private bit of land in Dubai, having lovely meals, having a lovely time, but it's just private and we can't see. And maybe she just snapped and, and had enough and you know doesn't want to talk to Tina and David anymore, wishes she'd never recorded these videos, and will be furious that... I've published them and if that is the case I sincerely apologise but there is the what if of what if she's not in a great situation and I think we would all just like something to reassure us on that.
1: Now last week on Friday... Princess Latifa's family put out a statement. They said, In response to media reports regarding Sheikha Latifa, we want to thank those who have expressed concern for her well-being, despite the coverage, which certainly is not reflective of the actual position. Her family has confirmed that Her Highness is being cared for at home, supported by her family and medical professionals. She continues to improve, and we are hopeful she will return to public life at the appropriate time. You can read Sanya's report, watch clips from the videos and see more of the work from Sky's data and forensics unit online. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sky News Daily Podcast hosted by me, Katerina Fotozzi, and produced by Nicola Ayres.
0: Hi, I'm Sophie Ridge, and if you enjoyed this Sky News podcast, you might also like mine. Welcome to Sophie Ridge on Sunday. You reportedly said, <laughs> it's ex- on, and My words have been totally taken out of context. Okay, go and on, on you... tell us the context. I'll tell you. What does that mean? We will work with the government, but we also will ask the difficult searching questions. Agenda-setting big interviews. An interesting interview, I thought, with Dominic Raab. Well, I mean, I would say that when I did it. And my take on the political stories that matter to you. Some soul-searching that I think needs to go on for many of us. The Safety Ridge on Sunday podcast. Available every Sunday from, well, wherever you found this one.